Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos-Duffy. Sean, it's so great to be back at our kitchen table. We have a couple really interesting topics today. You know I love when culture and politics come together. And in both of these topics, that happened. So we're going to talk about Don Lemon asking Essie Cup if she had mommy brain when she sort of lost her train of thought in the middle of an interview, something mm. you and I know has happened to me. And we'll talk about no, that. Never, That's happened to never. me on air. And it's <laughs> terrifying. Um, and so I have a lot of thoughts on that topic, but before we go there, Sean, we have to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or as our friend Tucker Carlson calls her Sandy. Um, Sandy, she had a GQ uh, interview, an interview in GQ magazine, and it was fascinating because, um, well, she talks about men. She talks about race. She talks about the Green New Deal. She talks about how America hates women. Um, it's just there was so much there. So we thought it would be really fun to unpack some of this. It was a completely fascinating article. One, because uh, at, at first blush, you look at this piece in GQ, and it is like a fawning piece from a left-wing activist talking about left-wing topics with AOC. Um, it's a and, fashion spread too, Sean. Can I mention it, it, that? But she fa- looks amazing. I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I don't, I'm not do her fan. Do you want to date her? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, only if you are saying mean things about her, does it mean that you want to date her? So I'm actually saying something nice right now. She had the Latina hoop. She had the red lipstick. She's wearing, you know, like as all good, you know, socialists for the people, right. you know, she's wearing super couture, incredibly high fashion um, outfits. And um, so, it, I mean, she looks amazing. So I just want to lay that out. She looks but, amazing in this article. And the article, you are right, Sean, is very funny. You know, and, and so it starts off by calling AOC the the voice of a generation. And uh, if I'm honest, I mean, it's true. She she speaks to a lot of young people and her viewpoint, yeah. which, by the way, let's be clear. She is a socialist, um, not far away from a communist. She's someone who's trying to uh, take more freedom away from you and give more power to the government. That is the mission that she has. And I, I don't know that I'd say that she's the voice of a generation. I think she's a radical voice for a part of her generation and for a younger group of people who don't actually know our history, who don't know kind of when you play out the ideas and concepts that AOC talks about, if you play them out, where does it lead our country? Where does it lead us in regard to economic prosperity? Where does it lead us in regard to our own personal freedom? They don't understand that. Um, uh, But it, it is a part of her generation that she's speaking to, but I would say it's not fair to say that she speaks for the whole generation, but the clip, the article starts off by saying, yes, she speaks for the whole generation. Because all well, young people I feel, now are I socialists. I think it's fair to say, Sean, that she is definitely, you know, a cultural icon for young people. She is incredibly savvy. She has harnessed social media in a way that no other modern politician has been able to do. A lot of this stuff um, goes under the radar for like even the mainstream media uh, it, it, who loves her, by the way. What she is doing is super subversive. It's on TikTok. It's on Instagram Live. 
it's mixing politics and I'm just like you, I'm putting together Ikea furniture. I'm, you know, cooking, you know, Hispanic food using Sasson and, you know, all this stuff. I'm putting on my makeup and this is how you do yeah, it. This and this is, is what I just makeup. learned. She, she also follows in that celebrity trend of showing your skincare routine. And it's very subversive. It's very um, it's uh, relatable. And I do believe that there is a generation, particularly of young women who absolutely idolize, idolize her. I want to just before we unpack this interview, because there's so many great stuff, um, stuff that was captured that I think um, you and I both, we had a discussion even off the podcast, we couldn't stop talking about it. Uh, but before we get to that, I, I want to touch on what you said, which I think is so insightful, that so many of the people that follow um, her politically, um, and, and now think they believe the same things she believes. It's not even that just that they don't understand how our system works. They have absolutely no clue about the death and destruction that socialism has wrought wherever it started. You know, the millions of people have died and starved because of these top down, centralized, controlled, um, authoritarian uh, forms of government. And uh, it, it's just this, this tyranny has left millions dead, whether it's Mao and Pol Pot and, um, you know, uh, Stalin and Lenin and Castro um, and Maduro and Chavez. And it's, that's, it's always been to me so ironic that the socialism um, in America has been, you know, ushered in by a Hispanic woman of all things, but she calls herself, Sean, a democratic socialist. And that is what Bernie Sanders does. And they do that on purpose because they think it's more palatable. I want to read a quote to you before we get By the going. Way, there, there's, there, there's no such thing as a democratic socialist. No, it's They're a just socialist. Of right. course, there's no such thing as a democratic socialist. And actually, I, I believe, as Ayn Rand believes, that socialism and communist tr- communism actually really is, um, they're, they're, they're more than cousins, their sisters, they may even be the same thing. Here's what Ayn Rand says about it. She says, there is no difference between communism and socialism, except in the means of achieving the same ultimate end. Communism proposes to enslave men by force, socialism by vote. It is merely the difference between murder and suicide. So in one, you're, you vote for so you vote for socialism. It's still the same authoritarian um, uh, circumstance. Uh, the other communism is, you know, by force. I, I think that's, that's fairly it's accurate. A, and, and, and ultimately for all her activist talk, Sean, her politics is about taking away your freedom. Can I, it's, it's absolutely about taking away your freedom. And here's where I think young people, and there's a lot of people get mesmerized by the message because the, 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 the socialist narrative and the promises of socialism are, are um, really attractive to a lot of people but they don't understand the consequences of the policies. And so just for, for example, I'm going to go to to the tax code. I'm not going to go wonky, but. Oh, come on, Sean. I wanted to talk about AOC. No, this is about, this is no, no, this is about AOC. This is stick with me for a moment. Stick with me. I'll let the politician talk about the tax code. Right. No, but it's, but the point is, is so when, when you lower taxes, you get more growth, right? And Democrats then say, well, why don't we just raise taxes and we'll have the same amount of growth and we'll bring in more money. The consequence, though, of raising taxes is that you get less growth. You don't get the same growth that you had with lower taxes. And with what AOC is saying, she wants people to believe that you can have the same kind of economy, the same kind of freedom, just with socialist policies. And the reality is you don't you will not have this kind of economy. You will not have this kind of freedom under socialism. You have to cash all of that in. That's the part of the story that they never share. You don't know what you have to get up to achieve Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders' utopia in America. That's never shared with the American people, but you do give it up. And I you don't give think- up freedom in the same way that, you know, when you're when you're a child, you're not fully free, right? You're under the 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 control and authority of your parents. Your parents may give you stuff for free, right? Um, but but ultimately you're under their authority. It isn't until you're fully you know emancipated and making your own money that you're truly independent. And it goes way back, Sean, in the 19th century. Alexis de Tocqueville, who you know famously wrote Democracy in America way back you know um, in the 1830s, um, he described despotism, authoritarianism, 
um, he, he described it. And think about how way back this goes. He, he describes it as a system that strives to keep its subjects in perpetual childhood. That's the nanny state that we conservatives talk so much about. So, you know, nothing is for free. Right. Um, they're in exchange for the free stuff that socialists and communists and authoritarians are going to give you. They take part of your freedom back. And, and that's a decision that you have to make. Do you want to be under that nanny state? Um, do you want to get is the free stuff worth your freedom? I, I think it's that you, simple. And, 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 and as, as Reagan effectively pointed out, once you give up your freedom, you can't get it back. It's right. Really you may, once you, really once you make the trade, yeah. the trade is, is, is in essence for, for good. You can't, and you really don't know what you're getting. You make the trade though, and you're going to be stuck with socialism because, because you don't get back to this, this point of freedom. But in and, the and article, Rachel. it's been so effective, Sean. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez ran on things, even when she, what year did she run, Sean? Uh, was it? Uh, 2018? It 2018, that's right. The things that she ran on, it's hard to imagine, but even back in 2018 seemed really radical, even then and now they're totally normalized. She ran on 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 free education. We just gave we just forgave a bunch of student loans for lawyers and and grad students and and you know art majors. Um, we just did that. Um, the Green New Deal. Even Democrats laughed about the Green New Deal. We just passed it, albeit under the guise of you know the Inflation Reduction Act. But I'm correct you, like you say, we didn't pass it. They passed it. <laughs> Fair enough. Democrats Fair passed it. But, I'm not but, taking credit but for these that. are now normalized ideas, not just in the Democrat Party, but I, I, Sean, you and I talked to so many young Republicans, and I would say the vast majority of them uh, believe that in climate change and, and that it is this the existential threat that AOC thinks it is to the point where she says she doesn't think she wants to have children. Um, because she's worried about how that would burden, you know, Mother Earth, the environment, um, and also because she's afraid the world's going to end. I think now in five years, because she said, I don't know how many years ago, it was 12 years, and maybe we're down to six years. But, but that's a really good point, and I, I, would, I, I would echo that, because you have, you have these young people who, through their whole education system, in K through 12, um, and in social media, and on TV, and the programs that they watch, they're fed this idea that climate change is real, it's going to destroy the planet, and therefore you have to give up your freedom and let us decide what kind of economy you live in, what kind of power you have, what kind of car you drive, because if not, your life will be destroyed. And so they're conservative in almost every aspect of the conservative spectrum, except on this issue. And I thought the the, the interview was fascinating, Rachel, because it starts off by talking about um, the day that the, the interview started on the day that uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned in the Dobbs decision, um, and how AOC then went to the to the to the steps of the Supreme Court and had to be with the people in protest, and um, they, they're talking about how in the Dobbs decision the Constitution was gutted, and the, we've we've mentioned this before, and 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 I know you've all heard this, but we all know that the abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. There's no right to a, abortion. There's no constitutional right. It doesn't exist. It was created out of thin air in Roe v. Wade. And even liberal jurists have talked about the, the, the lack of reasoning on the authority of making abortion a constitutional right. So they're talking about, a cons about constitutional rights in, in a, with abortion that don't exist in the Constitution. But the things that are enumerated in the Constitution, Democrats are actually attacking. We just found out um, in, the, in the last two weeks that, that Joe Biden and his administration was partnering with big tech to silence conservative voices who they disagreed with. Now, you can't, you can't uh, be prohibited in the Constitution in the First Amendment from limiting speech and then partner or give agency to someone else to do it for you because you can't. That's illegal. But that's exactly what Joe Biden has been doing with, with uh, his Democrat leadership to shut down speech and it's coming from the government. On top of that, they're attacking the Second Amendment and our right to bear arms. So I find it fascinating that on the on the uh, on, on the steps of the of the Supreme Court, she's out there, fist raised. You know, remember she? They didn't mention this in the article, but we talked about it earlier, where she had the fake handcuffs on, hands behind her of back, she didn't mention that but in the talking article. about the Constitution, but then actually not defending the actual things that are in the Constitution. We'll have more of this conversation after this. 
Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Right. It's, it's such a great point. Yeah, of course, they. I, I was, I, you know, it's just amazing that they never mentioned the scandal around the fact that she was pretending like she was some civil rights activist and put her hands behind her back in a fake handcuff position when there were no handcuffs. It was like in her imagination or for for the cameras. And, um, you know, because she wanted to have some like, you know, again, like this, she wanted the photo op of her looking like she was, you know, being dragged off by the police and protest. Um, but of course, you're absolutely right. And, and, and in fact, what Roe versus Wade did um, was give more rights to the states, more rights to the people to decide what they wanted right. to do about this very con- controversial issue. So, I mean, it's she just democracy, right? It was like, yep, we're, she, we're, we're back to democracy, letting people decide. And they don't want that because she is ultimately, I mean, to her credit, um, there are some some people like Joe Biden who I don't believe actually believes any of this socialist stuff. I think he was a fairly normal Democrat, um, uh, a corrupt one, but a fairly normal Democrat. He's in order to have power at the highest level, which he does, he had to agree to go along with this. And um, Sean, the power of this woman is um it's it's breathtaking and and i i I, in some ways i i am afraid of her because i think she's very powerful on the other hand i i admire um the way she's taken what what she's been given she's not the brightest mind when it comes to economics i know she has a degree in economics from boston she's very economically ignorant so many of her policies from the green new deal um, uh, to taxes, to this, you know, student loan forgiveness are, are going to literally bankrupt our country and, and take us into an inflationary spiral that I wish she had studied in Boston, uh, at University of Boston, um, of what happened in Latin America when they, um, uh, you know, printed money and devalued their currency. I mean, she, she has no idea. That said, you know, she has 8 million followers, for example, on Instagram, they they follow everything that she does. Um, she's she's a true believer, and I think her authenticity, unlike Joe Biden, is um, is is really effective in 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 getting new acolytes and 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 recruiting them because so many kids are not being properly educated in the school. So I there, there's a certain point of it um, that that I that I admire, and at the same time that she has all this power, Sean. What was fascinating to me in the article is how oppressed she thinks she is, how she says that, you know, even though she, you know, came from being a bartender um, to being one of the most influential people in American politics. I mean, she was the first one to call for impeachment and it happened uh, twice. So I, I think she still says that America hates women, um, that she started to tear up in the interview when they asked her if, she, if they if she thought a woman could ever be president, and she teared up because she said it just pained her to have to say that she she didn't think that that could be that there's a part of her that thinks it couldn't be possible because we're such a misogynistic country. You know, I, I, it's fascinating to me because the, the, there's been a, a whole cottage industry around really wealthy, really powerful, really successful people playing the victim card. And you talk about that quite a bit. And, and AOC is playing the same yep. game. I mean, me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm victimized, but I'm on the cover of GQ. Um, I'm right. able to come up with um, a radical policy, the Green New Deal with Ed Markey, um, the Massachusetts senator, and we're able to actually surreptitiously get it through uh, Congress and a number of different bills that have passed this year, whether it was 
uh, the the infrastructure package, the one point two billion trillion dollars. A mm-hmm. lot of the Green New Deal was in there, but then also this, as you mentioned, the Inflation Reduction Act. They've got it in. She's a she is she is powerful, um, and then to play the victim is absolutely outrageous. And when they talk about her power, I, I found this fascinating. It goes back to the uh, earlier point that I made that she doesn't describe power as dominance over others, um, but she does feed power um, or feel uh, feed power over her own choices, and so. I think that's a fascinating line. Can you, to go. Can I don't you, can seem... you unpack that just a little bit? I, what, say that again, because I do remember that in the article. Yes, she says that she doesn't because the, she got a question about you know whether she's a powerful person and what does she think about her power, yes. um, and she says, "Well, I don't, I, I, I don't define power as dominance over others." Is her response? But that's exactly what she's doing. She's using her power to implement rules, to dominate over people, to limit their choices, to limit their freedom. She's using power to dominate people. She may not see it that way. She might be honest and saying, I don't want to dominate over people, but that's exactly what she's doing. That's what socialism does. It's a dominance over other people. You have the state, the powerful making decisions for the masses. That's dominance. Um, And again, I just, I, I think the way she speaks I, I think she believes it. And I think you're right. After after Donald Trump, I do think um, the, the the honesty and, and that, that, a, that, that a candidate uh, speaks with, the authenticity, as you mentioned, is really important. And she's authentic. Yes, she's authentically I, just wrong. I mean, what she's saying is absolutely wrong. And I think it's a lie. But I do believe that she believes it, which is why she can deliver it in such an authentic fashion. But again, how rich is it to say, I don't want to dominate over people? And that's what every one of her policies is actually doing is dominance and taking away your freedom. And that's what socialism is ultimately. I mean, they see everything in terms of power um, and, and, you know, you're either a victim or you're the oppressor and they play victim in order to become the oppressor. It's, it's the classic communist um, communist ploy. Uh, One of the things that, you know, Sean, you know how I am with technology, technology, um, whether it's trying to figure something out on my phone um, trying to, you know, print a document even, I mean, I am so bad and nothing makes me feel older than, you know, this technology divide. Um, and certainly AOC, by the way, you know, is, is, is so good with social media, um, because of that, I can't figure out how to download, you know, the, 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 the clips that they send me from the show that I should be posting on social media. I, I don't end up posting them because I don't know how to, how to undo the box, but anyway, there's another thing that makes me feel really old that I captured in this article. Um, and that is, I don't speak in that self-care language, that BS meaningless activist language that I notice she speaks in, Meghan Markle speaks in, and so many young people speak in. It's like this other language to me, and it feels like gobbledygook, but it clearly um, is is effective. <laughs> um, and it, and it speaks to a generation. Cause I do believe there's this like self-care generation out there. Sean, how interesting did you find her comments about January 6th? Because we all know she was not in the building when the, 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 the January 6th riot happened in the Capitol. She was not in there. And yet she claims in this article that she was so terrified Um, for her life, that now she does not walk to work. She drives, again, a justification for driving short distances in an SUV. Or no, she has an an electric A Tesla. A Tesla. She has a Tesla. She drives a Tesla to work. How nice. Yeah, she drives a Tesla. From her condo above Whole Foods. Listen, (laughs) you know, this is is, is all very rich. I I love how she can just get away with all this this hypocrisy. She's just a woman of the people. (laughs) <laughs> you know, poor thing. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, again, I, I don't, I, I don't support um, the, you know, the, the, what, what happened at the Capitol that day. Right. I mean, I, I, we've talked about this before. I, I, we went in for the first time I cried that I had the opportunity and the honor to walk in to the house. Chamber. You should unpack that a little bit. Cause I don't know if people know what you're talking about. Well, so so when I, when I, I'd never been, I had never been in the Capitol when I won um, my house uh, seat. Um, never been in before in my life. I, so yeah, so I didn't, I, my, my, my eighth grade class never took a trip to DC. I never went into the Capitol. I, I won a seat to Congress, came out the week later with Rachel, walked into to the, to the house chamber for the first time. And I was so awestruck and so honored and so right. touched by the honor that the voters had given me. I was, I, I sat down and cried, um, that I had that, that privilege that what only 10,000 
11,000 Americans have ever had since the birth of our country. It's a, it's a really honoring experience and that, that, that we would in any way desecrate that. I don't like, and I know you don't either. That's far different than kind of how this, this day has now been portrayed. And in the article, they're like, it's an insurrection and people's lives were threatened and AOC, you know, on cue tease it up as if, you know, she was in a violent crowd and they were chanting, you know, death to AOC and they had a rope and they were going to hang her. I mean, listen, it's, it's crazy. She was in, she, I believe she was offsite. She was, so she was yeah. in her office building, which is across the street from the Capitol. Protesters weren't in the office buildings and she was in her office building. There was no threat to AOC. Um, and she played it up as if her life was in danger. And again, this is not about how she, again, I'm not in her mind, so maybe she did actually feel that way. But, but I think what this is about is, is driving a narrative of how radical Republicans are, how untenable, you know, a Trump supporter might be, or, a, you know, an American first uh, uh, individual who holds, who holds those ideas. They, they have to drive a narrative because, listen, Rachel, their ideas are so bad and they fail, right? They're, 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 they have the chance to, in essence, implement so many of their ideas, whether it's now Joe Biden in the federal government or if it's Gavin Newsom in California, they're destroying it's their states and they're destroying the country. They don't work. And so how do you get around it is to show that these guys are mean and they hate me and they want to kill me. And um, it, it's driving a political narrative as opposed to, I think, a true feeling that AOC should have had because she was not in danger. So what she says now, because now she's been outed as having not actually been in the Capitol. And so she has to explain what all this trauma is. She also reported in other interviews that she had to go to see a therapist for a while. And um, she was really, you know, upset about this. By the way, she also called for metal detectors because she says she feels um, she's fearful of other Republicans. What an insult to imply that, you know, other Republican members of Congress want to kill her. It's just she's such a drama queen and it's all so manipulative and awful. But now what she says and and she says this in this GQ article is actually yeah, she was scared about what was happening at the Capitol. But what really happened to her in that moment is that it triggered a memory of when she was actually sexually assaulted um, by someone that she knew. Uh, apparently, it's, it sounds from the article like it's somebody that she worked with at, at the bar that she worked at before she became a member of Congress. And that this was super triggering to her. Um, it, it, in the article, there, there were several things that I found really interesting. So first, Sean, she, she says, I knew this person and, and she didn't press charges and she justifies why she, she didn't, that she didn't want to just, she still doesn't want to press charges against this person who she says um, sexually assaulted her. And it was interesting because I've had discussions with Tammy Bruce, um, one of my colleagues who you know, sort of in, in a different generation um, fighting for feminism. And one of the things that that generation fought for was that when people rape women, they should be held um, to account by the law, whether you know or don't know that person, that you should report that, you should be believed. And and um, if there's enough evidence that that person, and, and Sean, you were a prosecutor, that's an important component of criminal justice. Now, I, I look at the AOC conversation about being sexually assaulted and I'll criticize AOC on all kinds of levels. I don't know what happened to her and I don't want to criticize her about the assault that, that she went through. Um, because I, 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 what I saw when I was a prosecutor, um, and I only dealt with women who were assaulted, that it's a, it's a trauma that they carry for their whole lives. Um, and it's horrible. It is, it's, it's not a momentary assault. It's an assault that lasts for the course of someone's whole life. And so, um, I, I don't want to minimize that at all. And also what you learn as a prosecutor is sometimes we see how people behave after they're assaulted and they don't do what we think would be normal for someone to do. Um, but um, it's, it's interesting. There's a, the whole studies around how people behave and the choices they make after a sexual assault. Um, there's a, oftentimes delayed disclosure. They might wait a year, two years, five years, 10 years before they actually talk about what happened to them, where you might think. Which, which is what she first, described, actually, Sean. She actually at, describes that in the article like, that she, it took her a yep. while to come to terms with it, which is very, which is very normal. What I do have issue with, though, Rachel, is and, and again, 
if I do, I, I do think that if, if this happens and this was a, a sexual assault, that if someone does it once, they very well are going to do it again. And to protect a future woman uh, or young girl from being assaulted, you should probably come forward and say, hey, this yeah. happened to me and this is the person who did it. If you don't want to press charges because you know the person, okay, but maybe you should also out the person as well to go, he raped me. Um, and any other woman who's around him or dating him should be aware of what he did to me because these are the tendencies that he has. And she um, did that- eventually, Sean, disclose what happened to her to some of her coworkers, she says in the article, and that they kind of said that it appears from the article that they had similar experiences or some of them did. So you're right. Like not holding that person accountable means that other people are going to be victims of his. Um, So uh, yeah, that that's a good point. But but you know what, Rachel, it feeds into this idea that she brings up in the article too, about um, how misogynistic men are. And it goes to your point that you know, basically it's such a misogynistic country that we won't vote for a woman president, but also she, she talks a lot about um, how we, how we have to have men re- rethink it's just doesn't say it in these exact terms, but masculinity. Um, and, and again, how misogynistic men are. And I go, listen, I know, listen, I'm sorry. I know a lot of men. Um, obviously I don't think men are misogynistic. There are some who are, I'm sure. But a vast majority of men are, are, are good men who love their moms, respect their moms, have sisters, love their sisters, have wives, love their wives, respect women thoroughly and cherish women, protect women um, and are not misogynistic. And again, that she tries to paint this broad brush of who men are in a really negative way. Yeah, I um, agree. As I think a really a real disservice in the in the in the conversation we just had yesterday about manliness and masculinity and how those two things meld together and an attack on that, that again, you need to be a pajama boy. You need to be feminine. You need to be a woman to be a man is absolute insanity. And, and these ideas actually penetrate, I think, in a culture in a profound way, especially coming from someone like AOC. And what I, and we talked about this yesterday on the podcast, what it does is it creates men who women don't want to marry. The women don't want to date. Um, yeah. And again, that's not, I'm not saying, I'm not, I, I, to be really clear, I'm not saying you want to date a misogynistic man. That's, yeah. we don't want to date, I don't want my daughters we to don't want date a date misogynist. But I'm saying to, to classify. You know, um, responses as women. I mean, what makes men and women interesting together is that they are different and complementary. Yes. And, and this idea that all men are misogynist and, and they have to rethink their whole lives and their masculinity and their, and their manliness is so it makes me so damn angry and that some man might buy into that is really troubling which again is why men are looking for other strong men and how to navigate today's culture and she's one of the the biggest purveyors of this 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 toxic ideology around you know young men who are who are actually good men yeah, I agree. And if, if somebody went to AOC or to me and said, you have to stop acting like, like a woman and your innate, you know, female instincts, like her doing Instagram videos about her makeup and her skincare, um, told her that that's toxic, she would be offended. I mean, that's who she is. I will say this though, that maybe some of the anger, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be her psychiatrist here or psychologist or counselor, but you know, there are a lot of women and she, she talked about that, that basically everyone that she worked with had, had been sexually assaulted, not necessarily by the same, that same person that assaulted her, but a lot of women have this, these experiences. And of course it has to do with, you know, women being out socially in in ways that maybe weren't acceptable a generation ago. Um, There's also the hookup culture where there's a lot of confusion about what's acceptable what's not we saw that kind of confusion in the me too movement where you know women want to be believed but then there's also women who lie or who are maybe feel jilted because they got ghosted after they had a sexual encounter and are expecting more and then come back and say oh i was raped and this is very treacherous for a lot of men so there's a lot of complications in um in the dating world when people jump into bed really quickly and that can cause a lot of confusion and um, some women are raped and others are just jilted and it's hard to make out what's what in that situation. She clearly feels like she was raped. I have no reason to not believe her. And that may also be 
why she's angry at men. Now that said, she talks about her new, her now fiance and he wanted to be engaged to her. He told her about a year ago that he wanted to be engaged to her. And she was very um, ambivalent about it. She was kind of like, why, Um, why do we want to do this? And she's very complimentary of him and says he's a great guy and whatnot, but she seems to be very ambivalent about marriage and settling down. And certainly we know um, she's not interested in, in having kids. Can I, can I read you a quote, Sean, to kind of give you, read it, just read it to me. I want to read you just, just give and, it to and me. this is a serious topic as she is talking about the, the sexual assault here, but this is kind of the stuff that it's like this, this self-care language, this activist, weird, meaningless language. I can't make out what she's saying. There's a couple quotes here. One, she says, so first she says, if the vast, this is a quote from her. If the vast majority of sexual assaults happen by a familiar person, the last thing you're going to want to do is throw someone in jail. So that's what we were talking about, Sean. We're like, why not? There's an intersection with the work of abolition and healing and contending with the fact that we as people are capable of doing harm, but we are also capable of healing from harm. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just old. It just seems like I don't know how to speak in that language. Yeah, I, no, I, I hear you. And can I just, maybe just on, on the assault front, there's, the, when we talk about rape, I just, and I've seen this when I was for, 10 years as a prosecutor, there is someone who is nabbed at, you know, at gunpoint or knife point and, and, and they're forcibly sexually assaulted. There's also what's happening. And again, we all, we call them all rape, but if someone is, you know, on a date and they're engaging, you know, with each other and, you know, someone goes further than um, what the other person wants, that's also considered a rape, right? It has to be consensual. But there, 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 there's, there's a whole spectrum of things that happen, and maybe you know, on that spectrum, she feels like she didn't want to call him out. I don't, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at my own experiences of, of kind of the, the, the different cases that I've handled, and, um, you know, again, it was probably, she probably wasn't again nabbed at night after, you know, after yeah. work by this individual. It was there, there was probably some dating involved, and he went further than she wanted, right? And was assaulted and she was traumatized by it. And that doesn't mean she's any less traumatized, but I do think no, of course that not. might feed into why she's not bringing this out. Rachel, I, you know, I, I, I the, uh, that we're sitting here talking for, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes about AOC. Number one for me is a little bit troubling. Again, we give her more uh, props. She is a cultural figure, whether she, we like her ideas or not. She is a figure that just like you know, you don't like talking about the Royals, Sean, I don't, but they I are don't, part of yeah. pop culture and we have to contend with this. Well, I think what the, the, so again, why I think this conversation <laughs> is important is um, the old adage of, you know, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. She is a wolf in sheep's clothing. She okay. is selling these ideas, these toxic, horrible um, anti-freedom death ideas to the American people with roses, sunshine and unicorns as if they're all great. And what troubles me is that you have a press corps that is able to lift her up and shine a light on her ideas because they agree with those ideas. I, and again, she's an attractive woman, right? Yeah. And she's young and she's articulate and, and she's a wildly leftist progressive socialist. And, and the media loves that because they are too. But I look at, you know, Governor Christy Noman, she was in the house, an attractive woman, you know, married with kids, a rancher, wildly successful, they they didn't give her near the attention they did AOC yeah. because she was a conservative. They could have you know, they AOC. could have propped Christy Noem up like AOC, but yeah. instead they tried to tear Christy down because she's a conservative. And AOC they'll lift up as this icon and give her help her get this platform to talk to young people to be the messenger that maybe they can't be themselves. And so this is scary stuff. It's important to recognize what she's doing, how she's communicating and the toxic ideology that she's helping feed to our young people, that the young girls look up to her um, is, 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 is troubling that our girls, that our kids know who she is, is troubling uh, to me. And we have to go like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Don't look up to her. Halloween, Sean. Do you remember that? Paloma was AOC for for Halloween. Well, she looked and, and, and my daughter Paloma looked just like AOC. It was so crazy. It was amazing. Um, and she oh, talked uh, like it too. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, um, that, she did the whole, <laughs> the whole AOC thing with her. It was great. Yeah. It was awesome. She had this big pin that said, I heart socialism. It was awesome. Um, was awesome. the, uh, her shoes, AOC shoes are in a museum I, I, that what you brought up about Christy Nome, 
was was a very interesting point because Christy Nome is a truly remarkable figure. Her father died in a farming accident. She pulled her family up um, and her family business up from the brink. Um, and and she is, I mean, her rope should be, her, her ranching rope should be in a museum. It's far more of a amazing um, up from the bootstrap story uh, than AOC's, but she will never get the attention she deserves because of that. Wait right there. We're going to have more of that conversation next. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So true. So, so so true. And again, this is this is the the leftist takeover of of culture, of social media, of real media. Um, and this is what we contend with. And I think what's important is to call her out for the lies. Um, and the misinformation that she puts out there, call her out for the the ideas that are so bad that she's selling to the American people and discuss it and talk about it and be empowered with the knowledge of what she's doing and fight back, especially if, if you have young kids who might know who she is, you, you got to talk to them um, about, you don't know, know what, what her ideas um, are and what kind of life you have under those ideas, which we've done with our own kids. So um, listen, I, be, before we go, Rachel, um, I want to quickly, you mentioned that we're going to talk about Don Lemon. Okay. So I, I, first of all, I, my heart goes out to Essie Cup because I've had this happen to me. You and I were on Outnumbered together and thank God you were the uh, lucky guy um, on Outnumbered that day because Harris Faulkner, this was years ago. I think I just had a baby. I was nursing. Um, I don't know if I was, it was Margarita or Valentina. I think it must've been Margarita. There's too many kids. I can't remember. I can't remember which one. (laughs) I think it was Margarita. No, no, no. It was Patrick. It was Patrick. I'd had Patrick and you were the lucky guy. And, um, Harris Faulkner asked me something about Iran and literally my mind went blank. I didn't remember. I couldn't, it wasn't that I didn't know what the answer to her question was. It was like, there was nothing in my brain. Like my brain was empty. I think I just, you know, nursed every brain cell out of my brain or something. I don't know what happened there. And I said, she asked me about Iran and I go, I ran. And then the second time I said, I ran and nothing came out. You tapped my knee because you were sitting next to me and you said, you must've known what was happening to me. And so can I jump in here? Best of our marriage. <laughs> you said, Rachel, do you mind if I take this question? And so the viewers had no idea. It seemed like you just wanted to answer the question instead of me. You were the awesomest husband in that moment. You 100% knew what happened to me that I had just, you know, my brain stopped working and you saved me on live TV. (laughs) So what you're saying here is Don Lemon is right, that there is pregnancy brain um, because and I don't know, like I'm not, but what I find, what I find. Here's where he's wrong though, Sean. Yeah. If you had called me out on air, if I had had that moment and you had said, even if you'd answered the question on Iran and then you came back after you answered the question on Iran and you said, honey, was that mommy brain? I would have been so pissed off at you. I, I mean, to, to embarrass me like that, it's like, let it go. Um, it, it, it was rude. By the way, I don't think that SE Cup has a new baby. So I, I, I don't know what, what happened there. Mommy brain does happen. Um, but for Don Lemon to call her out, I thought on air was, I think, was kind of sexist. And she, if, by the way, if, she, if, she, she, she seemed annoyed when he did it. She did. Um, she's like, no, 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 listen, I just, I, I lost my train of thought. I and mean, basically shut up, Don. But what kind of response is Don Lemon now getting from women in the country who actually listened to that interview? So there's a big debate. So I think like there's a lot of women that, that feel like I did, which is like, yeah, mommy, mommy brain exists, but not cool to call her out on live TV um, like that. And other people are saying, oh, let it go. Um, You can be sure that if some male said that, uh, uh, who was a Republican, that they would not even have the benefit of a debate about whether they were misogynist or not. No, Take, for example, if if you were on with Sean Hannity on a panel, and, and you had a lapse of just can that happen to all of us? You just like you're going to say something like I just forgot what I was sure. going to say. It's like it's, it's live TV. And Sean Hannity did what um, 
what Don Lemon did here and came back and said that to you exactly. um, on his panel, he would be absolutely skewered in the media totally. about again. Now he's a misogynist. He hates women. He's, you know, he's basically mocking you, doesn't respect you. Um, but you know, Don Lemon, you know, as a, as a gay minority can be on TV and can, can say these things. And because he has, he holds the right cards. He has the right to offend his co-host and say that to her. I listen, it's, it's bogus. And I listen, I, I, I do think it's demeaning. I think it's disrespectful. Um, of Don Lemon to do it. And he did, ha- listen, he had a good demeanor. He was joking a little bit about it, but I think that's, there's some things you just don't joke about because what it, what is he's jokingly, but he's embarrassing her in the process. Yeah, I think um, it was just it, rude. I, I don't think we should all be too overly sensitive. Like if Don Lemon did that to me, would I work with him the next day? Of course. Would I let it go? Yes. Um, I'm not an overly sensitive person like that. Do I think it was totally uncool? Yeah, I do. Can I tell you what we're doing here? So I'm like, Don, you set a certain set of standards by which we're all supposed to live by, you know, and how we talk to each other and how we deal with how sensitive we are, how we deal with race and sexuality and all these issues. Gender. I didn't set up those rules. I don't want to live by your rules. But if you set those rules up, Don, and you don't live by them, we should probably call you out, which is exactly what we're doing. People can make mistakes on air like I'd give Don Lemon a lot more you know, forgiveness if he wasn't trying to set up these radical rules for all of us to live by in regard to, to, to race and sex and sexual preference. He's doing that. Um, and so when he doesn't abide by his own rules, I think it's fair to call him out and go, listen, that was rude. That wasn't very nice. And I'm not going to give you the grace that I would give Sean Hannity if he did that. I'm, I'm sorry if Sean's listening to my podcast. I'm sure he is. Um, I don't mean to, it's a good example of a conservative who's on late night, tele, you know, primetime television. Um, I would give Sean the grace but I won't give it to, to, to Don Lemon and he doesn't deserve it because he's, I mean, he's such a, 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 an aggravator on these topics that when he does it himself, he should be called out. That's my take. Exactly. Well, listen, Sean, let's wrap this up. We, we, we've, we've covered a lot of pop culture on this top. A lot of AOC. I hate that you were I saying that AOC is pop culture and Don Lemon's pop, pop culture. What's happening to culture? If that's can I ask you just really quick? Can I ask you one last question? Because sure. I've always, I, I've actually never asked you directly this question. I've always oh, wanted great. to ask it, you this. this is what was it like to serve with AOC when she was on the financial services committee with you? What was she uh, like? So, so first of all, I never interacted with her on a personal level, but uh, she was on financial services. So was I. Um, and it, listen, I think it was actually troubling for it. Like I, said, I, I get along with Maxine Waters and I've said that a n- number of times. I, I like Maxine. I disagree with her politics, but Maxine is a historic figure on the committee. Um, the first, you know, female African-American to chair financial services. Um, kudos to Maxine. Again, I disagree with her policies. She's a nice you know, person in my interaction with her, but none of the attention went to Maxine chairing the committee, all the attention was on AOC. And we don't get cameras when we do the organizing of a committee coming in to film the committee, but there were cameras in the room and everyone's filming as AOC comes in. And, you know, this attention grabbing exercise that she had on financial services was, um, was, I think, um, was disliked that people are jealous of her and that she, she talks about like how the other Democrat, not Republican, but Democrat members of Congress, um, she felt like have not been very nice to her. Maybe that's why. Well, again, the, 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 sometimes I think it can undermine the policy and the work that you're doing in, 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 in a, in a committee. And again, she's a, a low ranking member. She's a freshman member of the committee, but I had one interaction with her about the green new deal. And she was talking about poverty, um, and housing and how we don't have enough housing and how housing isn't affordable because financial services under that jurisdiction is housing. And I'm like, listen, I agree. Housing is expensive and there's not enough housing stock, but in your green new deal, you're forcing everyone to get brand new windows in their homes and, you know, re-insulate their homes because you want to, you know, have us all comply with these standards in housing. What does that do to the cost of a house? It drives it up astronomically. So you're not bringing prices down to make it more affordable for more people. The Green New Deal is going to drive prices up. You're going to hurt people. You're going to throw more people out of a home, make homes unaffordable for people because of the Green New Deal. What did she oh, say? Gosh, she lost her mind and she came She came after, uh, after me. Obviously, she was wrong and didn't have a good answer and didn't address my point of the Green New Deal. 
But what was interesting, which I saw the power of social media, they clipped it, the, 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 this exchange to look favorable to AOC, uh, some left wing outlets, and then they ran it on Twitter and Facebook. And oh God, the, I got a barrage back. Oh, like, of like what like they AOC perceived the interaction like to be. Kind of a thing like AOC shamed or, Shame, or, or just owned. wiped the floor with Sean Duffy. Uh, and it's interesting the power, power behind media. the social media uh, accolades that she has um, and supporters she has. But but the fascinating point is they didn't play the whole clip. They didn't they didn't play my yeah. uh, my, my allegation on what the Green New Deal does to the how the prices of homes. They just played her response, which was non-responsive to the point I was making. And again, it's how misinformation gets out there. And misinformation on the left is totally acceptable. Well, Sean, um, you should feel very vindicated by what you said to just look you. to Europe. Just look to Europe and to the United States right now with our 50% energy increase costs here in the US and the darkest winter that Europe is ever going to face um, as you know they, they, they are going through massive um, energy costs increase. They're beholden to Russia. Um, they're, they're having to, they're, you know, people aren't going to be able to heat their homes this winter. You're going to see um, what the Green New Deal does to people. And you are 100% right. And I don't care what social media says, Sean, you owned AOC. I did own her, uh, if I do say so myself. But anyway, um, thank you for letting me talk for almost an hour on AOC and a little bit of Don Lemon, <laughs> some of my favorite topics. I love, I love that Rachel's in control. I get to talk about AOC and, and the Royal family. You'll get next week. I get next week. All right. Listen, I want to thank you all for, for joining us on our podcast from the kitchen table um, in a little deeper dive into AOC and her GQ article and Don Lemon offending many women across the country. Um, if you like our podcast, you can rate, you can review, you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, we appreciate you joining us for maybe a cup of coffee or an ice cold beer or a glass of wine, or maybe you're out for your run right now. But thanks for, for, for partaking in our uh, Duffy conversation on the issues that we think matter uh, to you, but they're the ones that we talk, or, talk about around our own kitchen table. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Bye. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.